Hello, welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen, back with Matt, and it's just us tonight. I think it's the first one that we've done just you and me, right, Matt? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I think it's so. Exclusive feature. <laughs> That's right. This one's going to top the charts, I'm sure. Uh, today we're going to be talking about machine learning, a little bit of artificial intelligence and robotics mixed in with the, uh, but just, yeah, the basics of machine learning and, and AI. So um, I have, my background in this is uh, limited to uh, natural language processing, which is like a subfield of machine learning, which is essentially just language related machine learning tasks and I'll talk those are going to be all my examples essentially Matt do you have any like real world usage of these I don't know if you ever talked about these in any of your classes uh not particularly no um my field of work focuses on actual intelligence rather than artificial intelligence (laughs) hey they're they're getting close to each other um (laughs) Okay, well, let's talk. For, let's first, for the layman, kind of um, make these terms a little bit less scary. Because uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, you start thinking about, well, I mean, obviously, jump to movies like iRobot or, you know, all, a variety of robot movies where the robots are taking over the world or Skynet or whatever Shia LaBeouf was in. That would be Transformers. <laughs> Here's another one where a computer becomes like self-aware and um, Transformers. That's Optimus Prime, (laughs) a machine that has learned. Uh, That's not the one I was talking about, but I don't remember the name of it. It might Sky. I don't remember. Anyway, um, the uh, the the that's not specifically what we're going to talk about. That maybe at the end we'll talk a little bit about Ray Kurzweil and some of his predictions, but. Generally, machine learning is specifically just uh, a task that you can use um, calculations for that um, can help um, create a model, essentially, of of a particular. Well, so I guess the best way to do it is give an example. So an example of of machine learning is um, classifying a set of documents as to what their genre is, right? So if I've got a bunch of documents there that are either um, about nature or war or um, home uh, improvement, or let's say it's just those three topics, and I want to be able to say, I want to go read through 100,000 documents. Well, that's going to be too big for a a human to go do that. It seems like a very easy task for a human, but now we're talking scaling it to the point where it's no longer something that a human, it would have to be a team of humans. Anyway, the man hours become intractable. Um, And this is a very basic example. Machine learning can also go all the way to the end of the spectrum of where something, you're trying to essentially detect something and classify something that uh, humans can't really do. Um, and I'll give another example of that later. But in this basic example, you have these three different categories and you want a computer to learn, a machine to learn, that's the machine learning, uh, how to identify these different documents as belonging to these particular classes. And so you have to give it some data. And that's one of the big things in machine learning is the data, um, not like the Star Trek data, but the uh, clarification. 
But yeah, yeah, I mean, to, to summarize, yeah. when we're talking about machine learning, we're talking about training a computer, essentially, to make a decision based on data, whether it right. be to tag it as a, a this or a that, a red, yellow, or blue, or or to react in some way or other. You're basically training a computer to look at a thing and make a re, an appropriate reaction. And that's what the, the model is for. So essentially you give it this, what, what we refer to as training data. So just a bunch of already labeled data. So let's say you have a, a thousand documents that you've so already- If I uh, could jump in, yeah, sure. uh, something that I might suggest that you do before we go much further is lay out kind of a structure of how we're gonna talk about the topic. You know, we're kind of defining what machine learning is, but then talk, you know, lay out the structure of we're gonna define it then we're going to talk about how you'd go about doing it all the different parts some definitions all that kind of stuff it might be good to just map that out beforehand especially for me because i don't know (laughs) well yeah so okay so finish just to finish the explanation here of of machine learning but then we'll i do want to i guess just uh high level discuss what machine learning is for the layman versus artificial intelligence versus potentially robotics. And then we'll dig into more of what, there are lots of different ways to do machine learning, right? And so we're gonna talk about some examples of that, the way that they model it, the way that we calculate it. Uh, and there's a lot to talk about there. And so we'll, we'll hit about, we'll hit on some of those. Um, and there's, there's something called um, supervised learning versus unsupervised learning. We'll just discuss kind of what the difference is and and some of the examples of those. And then we'll have some real world examples of where machine learning is useful and what uh, some of the ways that we kind of interact with it in the day to day. Um, And then we'll move on to uh, artificial intelligence, um, something and I'm not as familiar with, but I am familiar with something called cognitive modeling, which does have some relationship to artificial intelligence so we'll talk about that briefly and then we'll move on lastly to kind of robotics and the future of being able to you know have your own um you know robot that you can go have do jobs for you so um but yeah so machine learning three topics or, or three three categories bunch of documents you've got um training data which is just labeled data uh so i've got a thousand documents, and there are all of them are labeled for these different cla- these different classes. Um, what they say: war, nature, and home improvement, right? For and, example, yes. For example, exactly. And now I need to train my machine to, to and, and we'll discuss how you do that. But at a high level, I'm just going to this data, these thousand documents, and with these three different classifications already put on them, is not going to be fed to the computer. It's going to learn from those documents. And then you can give it the rest of the hundred thousand, uh, and uh, and have it label the rest of them. Now it's going to have a uh, um, like a there's going to be a, a degree to which it is accurate, and um, and and you can figure that out. So essentially, they're based on your training data. You can figure out how good am I going to how how accurately am I going to be able to label all these documents. Uh, and put them into these three classes because, you know, let's say you take uh, 90% of your training data and train your model, and your model once again is just your your decision um, probabilities. So you're, you're teaching that that machine to take all this data, and now it's going to um, make this 
model that's going to tell it, okay, I've got this new document, I'm going to look at it, and based on my model, I'm going to say, oh, it's this type. Um, so let's say 90% of your, your training data, you give it for, to create this model, you use the last 10% to test it so that you can say how accurate is this machine, uh, how accurately has it learned to label these data, uh, this data. And so you can test it on that last 10% and then calculate, oh, it's 95% accurate. Uh, and that gives you an idea of how good it's going to be across the whole data set, obviously. So that's um, at a high level what machine learning does. A very simple task there, uh, but that's the idea behind machine learning. It's just a, a, t a task that you can feed it data and then it will create something that will help make decisions to do a particular task. Um, so that's uh, machine learning. Artificial intelligence is uh, at least one, if not two levels further than that. It's essentially tr um, taking machine learning, putting it into a, a kind of a structure um, of being able to make decisions and, and employ particular machine learning parts together, or just being able to, to make decisions um, independent of particular models that it already has. So artificial intelligence is more fuzzy, nebulous, at least in my mind, as far as being able to say, um, I need to be able to do this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, uh, multiple tasks, um, unknown data coming in um, and being able to make decisions and correct uh, judgments based on what it's seeing. So there's a whole structure, infrastructure there. It's a little bit more, one of my teachers um, called this type of thing, um, I think his term was black magic or, um, so this, you're getting more towards the edge of, of, of hard science and more, a little bit more of, uh, you know, trying to, to create something that is um, uh, not a voodoo doll, but you know, a little bit uh, more, um, uh, approaching human intelligence, that's our, the idea of behind artificial intelligence, obviously, um, being able to take something and, and do something novel with it. Does that make sense, Matt? Yes, it does. When you, when you say approaching human intelligence, I think that's a key. Um, and like, you, you kind of listed out the examples, but um, one of the reasons that you would just in general that you would do um, something involving machine learning or artificial intelligence or anything is is to try to simulate the pattern recognition that humans are naturally good at. Um, humans recognize patterns and make decisions really well. We can very quickly look at a document and go, yeah, this is a document about war or no, this is a document about whatever else. Um, but yeah, training a machine to make that distinction is where machine learning and AI come into play. And there's something where you're always going to approach human intelligence. And I think that's kind of a key. So I'm glad that you said yeah. that. Yeah, and we're going to hit on cognitive modeling, I think, more at the end. And cognitive modeling is uh, the idea of... I don't, so with artificial intelligence, we're just trying to take what the computer's abilities are and, and, and maximize them and or right. solve a, a, an enigma. Um, and, and essentially, we don't even know what we're trying to solve. We're just trying to make the best, smartest thing that we can. Um, 
cognitive modeling is more like we know what what humans are capable of in a lot of different circumstances. Let's see if we can make a computer do the exact same thing in the exact same circumstances. Um, and so you can see how that's a little different than artificial intelligence. In artificial intelligence, you can imagine I can take all these different machine learning algorithms. I can do things with them that humans wouldn't be able to do. So I'm not trying to exactly model a computer or sorry, model a human in, in artificial intelligence per se or in cognitive modeling. That is the idea. I'm trying to model human cognition. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but that's the kind of the difference there. And then from artificial intelligence, you take that step into robotics. So artificial intelligence can be, you know, still located directly on a computer. I'm trying to make decisions and novel data, um, potentially using machine learning, but at least some structure that's going to take an unknown input and, and do something with it based on some, you know, some algorithm or some, um, you know, hocus pocus. Uh, but, focus is can, that's in your 400 level computer science courses. Well, I was actually in the 400 level when this. Uh, I think that's what uh, my my professor, who now I think I believe he's a high level engineer in Zillow. He worked for Microsoft for a while as well. Anyway, but um, goes we were talking layman cred. <laughs> yeah, um, he was talking about specifically chatbots in that case, which is largely artificial intelligence. You're trying to um, essentially create a human conversation with unknown input. So essentially I can type whatever I want and you as a computer needs to be able to react to it in a way that is intelligent. Um, sure. So that's, uh, that's, I think, I don't remember if you said black magic or whatever else, but, um, and that's kind of the idea behind some artificial intelligence is where, what's the best way to move forward anyway. But robotics is, is taking, it, you know, you don't have to be artificially intelligent and or have machine learning in order to be a robot. Robots can do lots of different things, right? Um, usually these days, robots have some machine learning involved, um, but, you know, your your Roomba or whatever it is that goes around and vacuums your floor, there's not a lot of software on there doing a lot of intelligent things, right? It's just, it's got a couple preset things, uh, programs in there that, you know, tell it when to launch, tell it, uh, you know, some, the smart ones can map out and follow a path. Um, but, uh, but that's a far cry from, from artificially intelligent and being able to say, oh, it was a spill. Let's go vacuum it up, you know? Um, so robotics can just be about taking computer software and, and and mapping it into kind of more mechanical engineering and and uh, you know physics and and data or not data sorry and, and uh, uh, just the actual physical movement of of a uh, a robot so uh, if you want to then take artificial intelligence and machine learning and apply that to a robot then you have the I think I I don't know, a couple months ago, we saw at MIT, they had those human looking robots that were doing like this obstacle course and jumping around. Did you see that, Matt? Uh, no, I, I missed that one, but it sounds awesome. It was pretty cool. They had uh, the, they gave these robot looking things, um, you, you know, uh, this obstacle course where they're essentially doing parkour, where they're jumping around, doing backflips and um, and it looked really cool. And then you see the outtakes and you think oh, it's still got a bit of a ways to go because, you know, sometimes it just it messes up in ways that humans don't mess up. 
uh, even though humans, a lot of humans can't do what you saw on that video where uh, they were, like I said, the robots were doing backflips off boxes and all kinds of stuff. So um, that's robotics plus some some artificial intelligence being able to recognize objects and, and know how to take that object and, and apply an algorithm to it that will allow your, this metal to move intelligently. Not metal, obviously, a lot of it's going to be plastic, but um, anyway. Robotics is uh, another field that I think people often confuse with machine learning and artificial intelligence, but they're all, they can certainly all be applied together, but they don't necessarily all have to go together. Okay, that's the high level of all those three topics. Let's dig in a little bit and talk some hard science, some, some math, some, some particular algorithms that, uh, that you use in machine learning. Uh, before I do, Matt, any questions? Uh, no, not okay. at this point. OK, so with machine learning, um, like I said my experience has been in natural language processing. And so um, I, I'm all my examples are going to come from that. Uh, but you've got this. Uh, hopefully these generalize across all the different fields of machine learning that, that machine learning is applied to. But um, what you do certainly have in machine learning is a difference between supervised learning and unsupervised learning. And we're going to talk a little bit about both here, but supervised learning, the idea is essentially you've got a human in the loop. You've got labeled data um, and you've got uh, a human essentially trying to curate the data and, and the model and essentially you've got a very defined task that you're trying to accomplish and that is what the, uh, you use the, the data for. So, um, and those are often classification models and and uh and so let, let me give a couple examples here so with uh, the first one the first example the very basic example i gave was was an example of uh, machine learning a supervised machine learning uh algorithm so essentially you've got data uh and then you've got the the whole the set um, of unlabeled data that you want to use it on um, in supervised learning you've got a feature set and so that is what I kind of glossed over at the beginning when I was trying to just get the high level. But when, when I've got these three classes that I'm trying to assign these documents to, I've got to, the computer's got to learn how to assign these different documents to a particular class. And the way you do that is creating what we call features, which are essentially a particular um, parts of these documents and obviously and you can imagine in the case of especially words we're talking uh, sorry in the case of documents we're talking words um uh, and some of these other cases where we can talk about um uh, syntax um parsing in that case we're talking um parts of speech those types of things uh, but all of these have um these different parts of the document or, or parts of the 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 data that that can be assigned particular weight and and how important they are in helping come up with the uh actual classification that you're trying to put on this object so i've got this document i don't know what it is and so as a human i'm going to read it right and as i'm reading i'm picking out words and i if i read the word hammer and uh you know, wood and nail, and I'm going to start thinking, oh, this is very likely a home improvement type of document, right? Um, 
if I read the word plane and bomb, and oh, that's a war document. So you can see that there are particular words that have a lot of meaning in how I classify a particular document. There are words that are not useful, right? The, that's something we call a stop word. We essentially just chuck it. It's not useful. Um, but there are words that are just less meaningful. If I said the word uh, wood, well, it could be in nature or that could be home improvement, right? So that the, the feature weight, so the amount of, of information I'm getting from that feature, that word in that document is not going to tell me enough individually in order to be able to label that document. So the computer's got to be able to take all of this data in and figure out what is the best way to use these features to label it in a, in a very accurate way. So with supervised learning, I'm helping the computer. Essentially, I'm saying, uh, here's a document. You want to break it all into words, and here's how you do that. And once you have all the words, uh, count the words, and then uh, assign probability to the words given the, the, um, the topic that I've got the label on. And so that's how you build this model. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways to essentially assign the probability to these different features. Lots of different models and algorithms. Um, a few of the ones Eva, that... Can, can I ask a question about features? Yeah, sure. So we, we talked about um, like words being a feature of a document. Um, I'm sure many of us have, when we try to log in and you've forgotten your password, uh, the little service that you're trying to log into starts showing you pictures and says, choose all the pictures that have a school bus or a crosswalk or a thing like that. Is that the sort of type of training data that you're, or, or like feature data that you're looking for? Yeah. Like, you know, so, for a picture of a street, if it has horizontal or, mm -hmm. or like white bars, right. this is probably a crosswalk. Right. Yes. And yeah. When we're doing that, we're, we're really helping define data for machines to train on. That is largely standing. true. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And that's, um, uh, that is true. And that's in the image realm that I'm, I will only be got, uh, became a little bit exposed to in college. Um, but yes, for sure. It, and you're right. Um, because you can imagine same type of thing. You've got a, a picture and the computer's trying to look at pixel information and it's like, what do I do with this? And so it can kind of group things and then it needs to know, well, is this group meaningful? I've got this group of white pixels. Uh, what does that mean? Um, and so, yeah, that's, you're, you're teaching it. Okay. These groups of white pixels that it, um, in this, these situations can be labeled as a crosswalk. Uh, and so you're giving it data to train on. Exactly. Um, so a few of these different models that they use to create these classifiers, these things that uh, the machine learning um, algorithm uses to uh, to create these classes, to, to label the, uh, these documents or, or whatever else. Um, one of the ones that you learn first in, in uh, any kind of class um, in computer science is naive Bayes. Uh, or a, a naive Bayes classifier, and uh, that. Do you want to spell that? Naive Bayes. Yeah. yeah. So it's naive as in, well, being naive. Okay. That's uh, N A I V E, um, and then Bayes is B A Y E S, and a naive uh, uh, Bayes is based on Bayesian probability, and so that's all fancy words for a layman podcast. Um, so let's try to give you the the uh, the 
the Bayes theorem, which is just the, the actual math problem that it is based on, and kind of what it means in layman's terms. So the uh, Bayes theorem is the probability of, of an event or uh, A um, given prob um, event B is equal to the probability of the event B given the event A multiplied by the probability of A all divided by the probability of B. That's a lot of words, and especially in a podcast, probably hard to follow. So let's, once again, you're trying to put it into the terms that we've been talking about and also hopefully terms that are a little bit more easy to understand. So we're trying to figure out the probability of A. So let's say that's the probability of uh, this class. <clears throat> um, uh, let's say war, the probability of the class war for a document uh, given a set of features, B, right? Um, well, how did we figure that out? What is the probability of this this category given this feature set? Well, so in Bayes' theorem and, and in Bayes' prob probability, uh, that conditional probability, so that probability of A given B, is e the, the, the theorem states that that's equal to the probability of B, so in that case, the probability of these features given that class. So if I know that this class is war and I have these features that I have that probability and then I have the probability of just a what is the probability of that class right that's easy that's easy to write over the my data set maybe of the 900 documents 300 are labeled war well there I got my probability of a that's what the probability probability in my data set is so now I can figure out okay well what's the probability of b my feature set given um, that war topic times the, multi, uh, times the probability of just that label over the probability of those features. And once again, you can calculate, okay, what's the probability of the word would? Well, I can calculate that ac across my data set, count, count them and divide them by the number of words. Well, there's your probability of, of that feature, right? And so the probability of that feature given the, that, um, that, class times the probability of that class divided by the probability of just that that feature is equal to the probability of that topic given those features and so that's the the bayes theorem and it goes well beyond just obviously the example of natural language processing that i'm giving which um kind of limiting it obviously but uh it's a conditional probability uh, independence theorem that, that all of these features are independent of each other if I know the probability of the class. So um, we won't get into some of this probability theory. My professor was very, uh, he was good with these things and it was very, he, he wanted us to understand this very well. And so I hope I'm not doing him a disservice here uh, in the way I'm stating it. Uh, but probability theory is very important in, in, in machine learning, uh, understanding probability and how conditional probability and independence, um, conditional, and uh, sorry, uh, independent probabilities work. Uh, we won't dig any further than we already did just now on in that, but um, Bayes, a Bayesian cl classifier does that calculation in order to assign weights to particular features in order to generate that label, right? Because then once I have that model, I know then I have the um, probability of a particular topic given a uh, given a set of words. And then obviously it just picks, the, the model just picks the highest probability. 
Um, Matt, any questions about that? It was on, how how opaque was that? Um, adequately unopaque. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll count that. Well, that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, that's uh, a Bayesian classifier, a naive Bayes classifier. Naive, then again, once again, coming from the that word being assigned to this because it's it's naively saying that the the, the this conditional probability is independent given the the category essentially the the probability of of this topic is is dependent on all these features but we can say oh well it's actually just dependent on this feature given that um, topic times the independent probabilities of these features existing in the data so um, moderately opaque yeah that's what I do moderate that's what they should probably uh, my my autobiography would probably be titled moderately opaque. Um, <laughs> a couple other let's so let's move away from from uh, trying to talk specific theorems and talk a little bit more about the just the different models and and some of the names that you'd see if you're getting into the machine learning area. Um, we've talked about um, maximum entropy before. Back in our thermodynamics, we talked about entropy kind of in the physical in the physics realm. And that's um, not exactly the same, but the entropy, once again, just uh, disorganization, um, right? Is that a good? Yeah, it's the disorderliness of the right. universe. Right. And so maximum entropy is uh, a model that essentially says, I want disorder in my model, which is kind of confusing when you first think about it. Um, because you're like, well, no, if I want a disorder, I would just assign a random probability to everything. <laughs> um, but maximum entropy is the idea that I want my, uh, I want to have my model as le least specific to my data set as possible while still achieving the maximum probability that I can, if that makes sense. Um, I don't want to, uh, the, the problem that you get in a lot of these machine learning um, scenarios is something called overtraining. So I've got a bunch of labeled data, and then I put my machine learning algorithm to work. I write up the code that does all the feature extraction and all that kind of stuff, and and I've got great features, and and it learns these models. Uh, the model does great on my data set. I mean, it's like a 98% accuracy on my on my labeled data set, and I'm thinking, wow, I've got this killer machine learning algorithm model here and I'm going to go and apply it in the wild and see how I do and I'm going to go get a bunch of other data and I throw that data at it and um, it performs horrendously just really really bad and you wonder to yourself well what did what just happened here and what usually happens in those types of scenarios is you've got some type of overtraining going on your your feature set is being so specifically weighted for the data that it's seeing that it is it can only predict the data that it's already seen if that makes sense so uh it's basically it's it's over specialized it can only exactly. recognize the words hammer and you know airstrike right. to right, determine exactly. whether or not we're talking home improvement or war right and exactly. it it's not generalized enough to be able to expand and do anything right. else right exactly because you, you you could imagine uh, a data set 
where I've got these three topics, war and nature and home improvement. And in this, in my, my training data, the word hammer only ever appears in home improvement. And so my model says that's a 100% prediction right there. Like I can assign a huge amount of a probability to hammer uh, on, on uh, that feature set of being able to predict the, the topic or the class of, of home improvement. And then I go out in the wild, and then the word hammer is used in lots of war um, documents, and and then all of a sudden my model is doing horrendously, right? And that's the, that's this scenario is I've got overtrained uh, model uh, that only knows essentially how to predict the data it's already seen, which is useless. So the the question I have on that is that problem an issue of the algorithm or an issue of the data that you fed to it or both like if i want to prevent overtraining where do i put the my effort to prevent that right the algorithm is the, the probably the most important there because you can only do so much with the data um obviously you, you do need to have good data and you need to have a lot of it in order to train a good model uh so it is a bit of both um but a a lot of data, a lot of good data can't overcome a bad model. Um, okay. So there's lots of different ways that there are that you can kind of try to deal with this overtraining. Um, but the the maximum entropy is is one of the, the one of the most common ways here, at least back when I was in school. And so uh, that's essentially saying, well, okay. We've now assigned all these probabilities. We feel good. Let's back them all off as far as we can, and, uh, without losing um, a particular, uh, you know, tolerance amount of, of of my training set accuracy. So back off those probabilities on those features. Back them off. Back them off. Back them off. I want this as disorganized and and uh, as possible while still maintaining a very high level of accuracy on my training data. And now let's apply that in the wild, and that performs significantly better. And so um, maximum entropy models were all the rage, like I said, like mm, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, there are also things, like I said, we talked about naive bays. That's still useful in a lot of situations where you've got very simple tasks. Maximum entropy can handle a lot more features, a lot more data. And, and um, there's SVM, so that's a support vector machine. And so that's, uh, once again, obviously a vector. You've got a whole whole slew of features and I, uh, a bunch of numbers that I'm storing for each feature and I'm, I want to um, use this whole vector uh, in a in the right way to predict these these classes and to uh, support vector machines hidden Markov models so that's uh, idea a Markov model is, is essentially uh, this class this hidden class um, it exists for every instance of, of the data and I need to be able to predict that hidden class but that hidden class can can be uh, is is it hidden it, uh, hides the classification inside of it uh, I'm not doing justice to the the specific um, the theorem here behind hidden Markov models but the idea once again is just that it's it's dependent the probability of this class is dependent on the on the feature obviously and but then also usually hidden Markov models also can um, uh, they the class is dependent on other things as well like the pr the class of the previous word uh, so that in this case often used for something called uh, syntax um, parsing so if I'm trying to parse a sentence and I'm moving along um, 
and I'm I got the first word is man, right? Okay, well I know that's a noun uh, based on my training data. Move on to the next word. Well, the next word can, is ambiguous. It's a r run or something like that. It could be a noun, it could be a verb. Well, now my hidden Markov model is saying, well, let's take that into consideration plus the previous uh, hidden label that we have assigned noun. Okay, well, let's take the both, those, both of those into consideration and now I've got another set of probabilities that I can assign to this and, and better be able to select the correct tag or part of speech uh, for the uh, for this this syntax tree I'm building for a sentence. Uh, I think that's the the one that I use and I saw the most at least in, in my class. Like I said, hidden Markov models are way more than just that. But um, uh, so these are just a few of the examples of of these algorithms and ways to uh, assign probability to these features in order to generate the uh, this class uh, or, or other it's not just classes. I'm doing classification as an example. That's a very common example in machine learning. There's also thing you can machine learning task is also like um, machine translation. And translation, you're not doing classification. You're doing generation of a new sentence, right? So it's a different task, but using the same types of models. At least it was a long time ago. We won't talk a lot about machine learning here. Or sorry, machine translation. <laughs> machine translation is its own whole set of uh, considerations, but uh, it did, machine learning got a lot better, sorry, machine translation got a lot better about 10 years ago when we started using a new model called uh, deep neural nets. And I think this has come up on podcasts in the past as well. Machine translation probably has because I talk about machine translation a lot. But deep neural nets is once again, just another machine learning algorithm and a way to use the features that we have in new and, and useful ways for very difficult tasks. <clears throat> and you can imagine in, in the idea behind a deep neural net, what's it, the idea is deep, you got a lot of uh, dimensionality here. Um, so a lot of different levels of features and, and uh, ways to assign probability through that. Um, but um, neural nets being the idea that where I'm going to try to use this in a way that we think neurons work. Um, and I want my probability to walk down a neural net, like I'm firing up one neuron and that, high, that, and that starts exciting the neurons further down that net. Um, and so that probability changes as, as each neuron starts lighting up given a particular input, right? And so that's um, this deep neural nets, this methodology of, of machine learning took, mach took machine translation to a whole new level. Uh, the the uh, quality of translation jumped significantly with using that algorithm. So that's an exa example of why these algorithms matter and, and why a particular algorithm can do very, very well. Uh, so um, deep neural nets are, are I believe still all the rage. They're used in lots of different situations in machine learning. And so um, that's once again, the same type of ideas is features and probabilities, but a different way of, of using that probability and, and uh, not training, but uh, tweaking that probability as, as more data is, comes in um, in a way that, uh, that really produces great results. Let's move on from supervised learning and move on to unsupervised learning. Now we've been doing, well, we, I have been doing a lot of talking. Matt, anything here that you wanna add? 
Uh, I'm enjoying this uh, educational podcast is all I can add. Okay. Well, briefly before I talk Sorry, about this is not my area of uh, yeah, expertise. So, well, you can jump in in the end when we're talking about Ray Kurzweil. Um, talking about what? Ray Kurzweil. He's the. Uh, he's known oh, yeah, as Ray, of, my buddy. He used <laughs> to hang out. He's known as kind of being like this. Um, uh, he predicts. He's made some predictions in the past uh, that have been that have been very accurate about. AI and and uh, what's going to happen with AI and and computers and things like that and so uh, I believe that he started well yeah some software company anyway he's a smart guy he's made some predictions that I don't think are going to happen according to the timeline but who am I I, I do learn it from a layman this guy's um, you know like I said I think he started some major software company and I'm blanking on it right now but um, uh, he's done. He's known for having some very accurate pre- predictions in the last 20 years. And so, who am I to uh, contradict? I'll, I'll give reasons why I don't necessarily would agree with a couple of his predictions uh, right as we wrap up here in 20 minutes or so. But um, quick aside before I walk us through briefly what unsupervised learning uh, is, uh, our listening, uh, our listeners, are. Um, still showing up from all over the world. So thank you. I hadn't given uh, the due uh, the, uh, to the UK and India recently. They are going neck and neck for our uh, second country outside of the United States for listeners. So nice. I, I'd like to see, you know, who's going to win this month. Um, my money is on the UK just because they're currently in the lead, but India's got uh, quite the population to draw from. So Matt, predictions? Um, may the best country win. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you can read whatever you want to into that. Exactly. Now, it's uh, it's always fun to see where people are listening. So we're just oh, happy that just, people listen. Yeah, me too. Though I just I just updated. India actually is now in the lead. Oh, so, there we go. So now are you favoring them because they're winning? I'm now favoring winning? India, yes. Because yes. they're winning. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Carl is what runner. we call a, uh, a bandwagon fan. That's what I do. I have, I've never been to India. I'd like to, but I don't um, know a lot about the country. Uh, the UK, I've been to a couple times, and my ancestors, I've got a lot of ancestors from the UK. So I know a little bit more about the UK, but India, now I'm a bigger fan because they listen to our podcast. Excellent. Uh, I do have to, uh, North Dakota, once again, I think I've called them out in the previous podcast, but they're. Uh, they're the one state currently that's not uh, paying attention. So, come on, guys. Well, there's nobody there to pay attention. <laughs> Details. Anyway, Details. Anyway, sorry. All right. Uh, yes. So, um, one other quick interesting thing. So, we get in- information about countries, obviously, about where our listeners come from. Here, about two weeks ago, it showed that all the countries in South America had listened to our podcast. Um, and then, all of a sudden, Venezuela dropped off the map like i'm wondering if they just like i know that there are some sketchy things that go on in venezuela at at times well, so you insult their country <laughs> um yes i would apologize this wasn't shortly after your uh, podcast on command economies was it <laughs> right um i don't know 
but apparently we've been shut off in Venezuela and no longer, they don't even claim to have listened at any point, even though at one point they had. Um, so, all right, back to machine learning uh, away from our, our listeners uh, toward our current listeners, where, wherever you may be from. Okay, so we've talked about supervised. Once again, that's human in the loop. I've got data, I've labeled it, and I've passed it to the computer, and I've said, let's learn a model and let's use that. Unsupervised learning is um, more magic-esque. Um, yeah. it, it's, uh, like I said, my, my professor called it, but th this isn't the full um, like dark magic that he said called, uh, you know, like chatbots and other AI related things. More, more just, it's using math and a very and probability and those types of things in a very uh, unique way that that gives you very interesting data. <coughs> uh, sorry, uses your data and give you very interesting insights. And so, the idea here is that you don't have labeled data. You just have data and features, and you want to learn something from it. So you say, here, here's some stuff, computer, teach me. And that's unsupervised learning. And so it's not as simple as that, because that's, you know, obviously then you're talking more artificial intelligence. It's, I, I want to learn a particular thing about this data computer. I don't know labels. I don't know. I, I've got some features potentially for you. Here it is. Do what you can with it. And so a lot of this is, is clustering. So it essentially, it, it tries to use various methods, and we'll talk about a couple, um, that, to uh, take this data and create meaningful groups out of the data. And so, um, once again, uh, a great example is, is uh, topics for documents. This is one I'm actually by far the most familiar with, with unsupervised learning, is, is something called topic modeling. And so that my first example, the very beginning of the podcast was I've got these three topics and I've got these documents and I and I've got labels and I want you to learn those and there you go. This is I don't know what my topics in the case of sorry in the case of topic modeling you're saying I don't know what my topics are and I don't have any data for you to train on. Teach me. Um, and that's what the the model and so the, in this case, uh, topic modeling goes through and it grabs. It tries to create meaningful clusters of either documents or words inside the documents that will say, okay, here are some different topics being discussed in these documents. Uh, and you have to uh, give it a particular number that you want, or at least back in my day you did. I know there were some work back then, back even then, to try to have the computer learn a, a number of topics that would um, be coherent and so, um, but uh, you say, okay, here, here, I want 10 topics. I want 10 things that are discussed in this document or in these sets of documents. Go. And so then it goes through and it clusters words um, and it, cr it creates probability um, vectors and all these multi-dimensional matrices. And, and, um, and, and in order to, to say, okay, uh, there are 10 topics in here that we found. It doesn't label them because computers aren't great at labeling. So essentially what it does, is it'll say, here are the top words, the most common words in these topics. And then you'll see that, okay, from these 10,000 documents, I've got the words computer, 
hardware, software, monitor. Uh, you're like, oh, okay, some of these documents are clearly about, you know, computer science or, or the, the, something like that. And then some of the other words will be student, teacher, uh, class, school. Um, and then you can say, oh, okay, well, this is a topic about, um, you know, about school and, and classes. And so it will go through and assign the probability to the words and, and then be able to map those into topics. And then you'll be able to say, okay, from this document set, I know that it's these things are discussed and these are topics that exist in these documents. So topic modeling is one of the uh, one example of unsupervised learning. Like I said, these are mostly just clustering um, algorithms where I want to find some meaningful clusters uh, inside my data that will teach me something about my data. Um, and so lots of different ways you could apply this. The topic modeling is just one example. Um, but let's talk about a couple of different ways that they do this. Clustering algorithms, there's something called k-means. Essentially, that's um, it's, um, you're using a, a mean uh, number, so some average of, uh, of, da of data points in order to calculate a pr probability um, of a particular topic, or sorry, topic, once again, giving the one example that I've got you, uh, I've given you here of topic modeling. Uh, K-means, there's something called nearest neighbor. In that case, you just use uh, your, the nearest neighbor or neighbors for a particular data point given the feature set in order to predict a, predict a, a particular outcome, a particular yeah, cluster. Can you define neighbors there? Sorry. Yeah, so that's the idea, once again, is, is well, uh, once again, I didn't ever say what the idea was to begin with. Uh, you've got multi-dimensional space. And that can be really confusing for a layman. Um, it was to or, me. Or other people, experts, <laughs> Right, exactly. So we're familiar with three dimensions. Really, only uh, the machines can handle that. <laughs> well, you can you can just, multi-dimensional space um, is, uh, in, in it's easy to imagine in, if you can imagine the, um, each word is a dimension. And so that's, once again, all of my examples are coming from natural language processing. So right. sorry, make your generalizations however you want to. But um, anyway, neighbors. Yeah, each word is a feature. And so each neighbor is a document and it, each document has its own set of dimensions in it. And so these dimensions being all these words uh, are how close is this data point to this other data point given all its dimensions. So uh, it maps it in and it can say, oh, okay, it, it's very close to each other. Therefore, they're neighbors, meaning lots of these dimensions overlap and share either uh, you know, qualitative or quantitative, well, qualitative, obviously, in this case, uh, feature similarities. So um, quantitative, sorry, not qualitative. Um, okay, I was going to so. say, but that's fine. <laughs> so basically, the based on the multidimensional analysis that the computers or the algorithm does, if a thing is similar to another thing and its that's features the overlap, then they could be considered neighbors. Right, and the the nearest one is the one that has the most overlap in features. Yeah, and and multidimensional is just literally a, a big matrix of the features, and and each one. Uh, in, in the case of words, they all take on particular, uh, you know, there or not values, right? 
but uh, you can imagine if if I've, I've got other values like words, like pixel colors and things like that, all of a sudden you can imagine how that maps into space differently. Anyway, nearest neighbor. And then the, the one I was talking about, topic modeling, we usually use something called uh, latent Dirichlet allocation or LDA. Dirichlet is just a fancy word for a particular statistical probability um, model or uh, yeah so a Dirichlet is a multi-peaked surface you can imagine you put a sheet and then you stick like 10 different poles up underneath the sheet and they get so your sheet which was flat all of a sudden has 10 spikes coming up through it that's kind of what a Dirichlet looks like um different areas where it's where it's spiky so if you basically drape a bed sheet over the head of a deer then the antlers would create <laughs> there you uh, go never mind and so you can imagine, yeah, well, that's uh, reasonable. So you can imagine uh, I've got all these documents and different documents have different topics in them. And I want to find where each document um, has these different topics and what the topics are. And subtopics are going to happen more often. And so that's your more spiky parts of your of your your plane here of probability. Is yeah, got, When we I, talk about spikes, we talk about points of increased probability right exactly and um and so the uh and and two important things here there's some some of these these uh two words that are, happen a lot in probability theory and also then in machine learning is a prior statistical probability and a posterior uh statistical probability so your prior is either have no idea what the probability of this is so 50 percent or whatever uh, versus my posterior, meaning I've gone through and I've tr I, I've updated my probability of this feature or this document happening. Um, it's a so known probability distribution. My, right, exactly. Posterior, meaning I've done something and now I know something about it and right. the probability has now changed. So prior, meaning before, posterior, after. And so that's how you start. Um, there's lots of different sampling methods that you go through in order to create these uh, probability uh, assignments for the different features. Um, one I'm familiar with called Gibbs sampling, where you go through and, and it's, it uses calculus derivatives in order to figure out what a, what a feature adds to a particular document and, and what the probability is with and without. And it goes through massive amounts of calculation in order to do a, a big topic model for a data set. Um, and so I think you started seeing this in Google relatively, I don't know, last five, six years. I think they do a little bit of latent Dirichlet allocation. They do a little bit of topic modeling, I think. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but I do know that, let's say you type the word Bryce Harper. For all of our listeners who have no idea who Bryce Harper is, he's a baseball star in the United States. He worked, plays for the Philadelphia Phillies, okay? So you type I didn't in- I who he was either. Okay, well, so you type so. in Bryce Harper and it comes up with results, right? And now you go back and you start typing something else uh, I, I guess there's two ways to look at why, how they might use topic modeling. First of all, before we move on to what your next search might be, your first search, you're going to see that, and then you're going to see related people, right? You've seen that in Google before where you search a person, and then it says, oh, all of these people are related. That's going to maybe not be um, topic modeling, and maybe they use latent Dirichlet allocation, and maybe not, but it's some type of clustering algorithm, right? Because it's not like they've gone through and labeled how these people are related, right? They Nobody has done that there's 
billions of people in the world. Even famous people, there are millions of people in the world, so they can't do that. But computers can with a particular amount of data, and Google has vast amounts of data and a lot of computing power. So uh, Google has, I believe, found some ways uh, to use latent Dirichlet allocation, which for a long time really wasn't all that useful real time because it takes so long to train the models. Um, I think they've found a way to use it, and, and, and maybe they use some some pre-trained models in some cases, but um, those clusters of people or related topics that you see when you do a search in Google, I believe come from some unsupervised learning where it's grabbing ideas and, and things from these vast data sets that it has and associating them together in a cluster. Um, the other thing is when you type, after I type Bryce Harper, I'm, I read something, and I'm, I go up there and I start typing PHI. That could go anywhere, right? PHI, there's there's a lot of, well, this isn't a great example. You go to Philadelphia because Bryce Harper plays for the Phillies, which is right. why you would be typing that, right? Right, and, and that's, so Google, the first suggestion will come up with Philadelphia Phillies. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it is the first suggestion is because it's the most tightly, it's the nearest neighbor. Right. So it is clearly done. It's starting to predict your next search based on your last search, um, based on these unsupervised clusters that it's that it's created. And so that's why unsupervised learning is is really cool, is because no computer is in the no, sorry, no human is in the loop there. There's no label that's going on here. They've just created these meaningful clusters that are now useful. Because I I searched Bryce Harper and I learned oh, what what are the Philadelphia Phillies up to these days anyway. So I start typing and it's already filled that out for me and and I can pull that up really quick. So um, that's an example of how unsupervised learning might be used and what you'd see day to day. Um, so we talked about unsupervised and uh, supervised learning. Like I said, I talked about them in the ling uh, natural language processing or NLP area. These are used across. Matt used the image. Images are a huge one, right? Google Photos, if you haven't used that, or Amazon Photos. You can type in grass. Go to Google Photos right now. Type in the word grass in your Google Photos. And you'll see that Google pulls up all your pictures that have grass in them. Pretty cool, right? It's not like anyone did that. It's uh, They had models that uh, know that, oh, here's a bunch of green. What does green mean? Oh, well, it means grass. So um, that's an example of how machine learning has uh, been used in, in other areas outside of uh, um, text as well. Questions, Matt? Yeah, I think the ultimate question for everyone that's listening to this podcast is how much longer does humanity have before the machines do take <laughs> over and decide that? Do you want to talk about like some of the sci-fi depictions, you know, kind of a, a myth versus reality as far as some of these uh, AI considerations right. and machine learning goes? I, I mean, at the end of the day, no, the machines are not going to take over. Um, but you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it, we are, I believe, I believe, quite a way it's away from you know these self-aware computers and 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 uh, those types of things. Most of what's still being done out there is more in the realm of of task-based machine learning. So very specifically, very specific jobs that computers can do very well. Now, that's been the case for the last probably 15 years. And so we really are at the, at the, at the cutting edge, which I'm not at, um, obviously. 
uh, we are seeing starting to see some some combination and and some more AI related things um, where where you actually get some interaction. Uh, the Turing test is one that you can look up if you are interested in in how um, when we're going to decide we're at this point where the computers are all going to take over. Alan Turing um, lived back in the early 20th century, and he, one of his he was a mathematician, computer scientist, and he said computer when computers are able to essentially carry on a conversation with a human, and you don't know that it's a computer, that's when we've reached this level of of AI that's that's you know uh, the point where it could take over for a human essentially. Um, like I said, right now that's not the case, right? There's so many things that we interact with on a day-to-day -day level, uh, and and the biology of of humans is is uniquely set up to to handle, obviously, the society that we've created for ourselves. So it makes sense that we'd be really good at handling the things that we have set up as a civilization. Uh, computers are learning, but learning in the way that we've talked about with data and and numbers and things like that, as opposed to um, more the biological idea of learning that we're more familiar with. So um, it's a very different take on, on it, with the exception of cognitive modeling, which still is different. But let me just, I, I mentioned I would talk about cognitive modeling, and, and we're low on time here as far as people's interest potentially even. But cognitive modeling is uh, the idea that, once again, in a particular cir uh, circumstance, put me in a, in a car, give me a phone and a burger and have me drive, right? <clears throat> Things are gonna go poorly, right? right? If I'm trying to text and eat and drive, I've used up too many of my, my cognitive resources to be able to do any one of them particularly well. And so there's gonna be issues. And that's a very simple case of walking and chewing gum, right? Uh, you're using more than just your basic one task um, cognition abilities. So when you're doing trying to do multiple things at the same time, your uh, your cognition your cognitive ability is, is being put to use in two different areas, and uh, and therefore you, you they suffer, right? There's a certain amount of of uh, neurons available to you, and if you use them up, you've used them up, um, and so. The idea with cognitive modeling is, okay, well, we know computers uh, don't have the same limitations as humans do in a lot of cases, but we want to know what humans' limitations are, and we want computers to be able to mimic that, both for the sake of creating human-like computers, and also for the sake of being able to say, well, what happens when you put a, a human in these very stressful situations, right? If you, uh, a pilot, um, that's flying 500 miles an hour and then all of a sudden has a woman giving birth on her on the plane and then an engine goes out or something like that, you know, incredibly stressful situation. And what is it? How is that human going to react? And can we figure out what ways we could help that human based on a computer model? And so a computer uh, cognitive model is a, a different architect architectures that that cognitive model or a cognitive model program set up to um, to try to give you the idea uh, to, to mimic a, a human reaction in particular situations. And that's, I've got a certain number of, and I'm familiar with the one that, that used the University of Michigan for a long time, the SOAR, um, 
architecture and that's they, they use something called operators and that's kind of like a, a decision making uh, neuron um, and uh, you only have a certain number of operators and it has a particular and, and then this architecture has different goals for the program so there are different things that it has to do and, and when you give it different goals uh, the amount of time that it takes to do these different things then changes so that you can imagine that obviously you're now starting to get some insight into if I can correctly model things that I have seen from a human then I can take this model and this cognitive model and apply it to new situations and, and you can imagine that a human's going to act like that probably right and that's cognitive modeling once again I'm familiar with in, in the language space um, how well can we model how a, a, a human uh, parses a sentence so if I'm talking in the past I don't remember which podcast it was. We talked about garden pass sentences, sentences where you start parsing, you're listening to me talk, everything's making sense, and then all of a sudden I say something and the sentence blows up in your mind, like the the horse raced past the barn fell. Um, and you're like, what? What is? What is he? What? Uh, and that's a garden pass sentence because you're you've gone down and all of a sudden pop the way that you were structuring the sentence doesn't work you got to go all the way back up and try to see if you can figure out a different um, syntax tree for the for the words that I I just gave you to have them make sense so in a cognitive model sense uh, in in parsing you want it to do something similar right you want to be able to give it a garden pass sentence and have it fail and then recover and or in the case of some garden pass sentences even humans don't recover you want a, 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 the computer to say nope can't figure that out, um, and you want it to be able to parse a sentence in about as long as a computer, as a human takes to parse a sentence, which in the case of human speech is real time. Um, but if I'm given then another goal at the same time, you need to listen to this person and you need to drive, then I want to see that how those play off of each other, right? What is the interaction there? If I'm listening to someone and I'm driving, is my driving impaired or is my listening impaired or are they both impaired? Um, and so cognitive modeling is very useful in that way as well. So uh, that's just a very basic into cognitive modeling. Like if you take it all the way back to Matt's question, the computers are, um, they are not yet self-aware. And I don't believe that we're close to being self-aware. I don't think that's even something that makes sense for a computer, candidly. Um, and that's where I start diverging a little bit from Mr. Kurzweil. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, by the way, I did do some research on him. The, his, his wiki uh, says he's an author, entrepreneur, futurist, and inventor. And uh, I believe he started, he was one of the early people in Google, which is, makes sense, um, which is why I thought he started some big software company. Uh, Glad we're able to check these things in real time as we go oh, yeah. on here. <laughs> anyway, like I said, lots of predictions. He's done lots of, of amazing work, um, but I believe is, is some of the predictions he's got for um, uh, for humans and computers are that. Um, let me see. Uh, 2008, Kurzweil said that uh, that uh, solar power will scale up to produce all the energy needs of Earth's people in 20 years. That's a simple one. He's got ones essentially that, uh, oh, here we go. The humans will be a hybrid of biological and non-biological intelligence uh, by 2029. Interesting. Well, um, 
I think we're starting to see some of that with TikTok. <laughs> uh, right, right. Um, so I don't think that's going to happen. I think for some, in, in some ways, it's because we as a biological creature are allergic to the idea of being partially AI, right? Um, I think the ability isn't quite there yet either. We can't, we're made a lot of advances into being able to read brain waves and, and, and understand the brain, but it's still uh, a bit of an enigma to us, at least how all the, the cognitive functions work and, and, and consciousness in general is still kind of a question mark in a lot of ways. So Kurzweil kind of assumes that all of that will be figured out in the next 10 or 10, 20 years. I don't know that I agree. And in as much as there's computers are not conscious, they won't be able to do a lot of computer uh, of, of human tasks. But a lot of jobs don't really need you to be conscious. And so there is, uh, and as there already is, uh, a huge market for com for computers and AI taking over a segment of, of, of tasks and jobs that are very machine learnable. So. Uh, it's the interplay of multiple things happening at the same time where computers don't do as well. Um, a particular job, one specific job, are what computers are good at. And so um, that's why learn it from a is very important. You need to know lots of different things in order to ensure your job doesn't get outmoded. Uh, or replaced by you know, computers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to... Uh, Open, broaden your horizons uh, and learn lots of different things so that when the computer jumps in and starts taking your job over, you can say, well, I don't just know how to do that. I can then also help this computer that's now doing my job. I can help it interface with this over here as well, and that will allow my, our company to do such and such. So that's, I think that's the hopeful side of computer um machine learning and artificial intelligence is it's it's not necessarily going to make us uh, as humans no longer necessary. It's going to allow us to do new and um, innovative things. And I think the, the the Kurzweil's idea of biological, and it's not just Kurzweil, but biological uh, and computer interaction. So essentially we're gonna have little nanobots inside of us and we can use them to access data on the web inside of our brain. That sounds really cool, and maybe eventually we will. I think we're a long ways away from that, um, and I I don't know that we'll get there in the same way that he envisions it. Just because I believe that as a species we're a bit hesitant to to walk down that road, um, but uh, I do think that, that that in the very positive sense, AI and, and computer machine learning will give us and already have given us a lot of ability to do new things and, and uh, view new horizons. So that's pretty much Oops. my summation here. I last, agree uh, with your summation. <laughs> last uh, questions or ideas, Matt? Uh, no, I think you've pretty much covered everything that we need to know about machine learning and AI. <laughs> Good. Well, then, uh, then we can't do another podcast about it, Matt. I think there's a lot more to cover here. <laughs> Anyway, no, uh, I hope this has been useful. I hope that uh, I, we try to be very factual and learn it from a layman. We are, we try to be well-educated. We're not always perfect, and we know that. We've had some, some feedback about our podcast, and we appreciate any feedback you can give us. Uh, we try to do our best, and we will try again next podcast and come back for our next one. We'll see you then.